My name's Sarah Frick, and you're listening to Are You For Real? A podcast all about being real. Like, really real, not just cute Instagram real. Like, real. Welcome back to Are You For Real with Sarah Frick. Today we are sitting down with Jason Burke, who is the owner and founder of New Primal. Um, Jason, how are you? Doing great. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I've got a lot of things I want to chat about. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself. Myself. Well, um, I grew up in Tampa, Florida. Okay. Um, I moved to Charleston 11 years ago, and I moved sort of on a whim. Um, I was, uh, out of college, I went into financial services and I was selling really boring things like insurance and, um, mutual funds and practical and things. things. Like yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> you know, it, it's a great way to cut your teeth in a sales career, I think. But, um, uh, really right around the time there was this market crash, 2007, 2008, mm-hmm. that career path wasn't going so well. So, uh, on a whim, my wife and I took a weekend getaway here to Charleston and fell in love with the town and. I, we looked at each other over lunch and said, do you think we should move? Nice. And uh, and so then we moved. And then essentially, I think the rest of my life has sort of been, um, has been dictated by that moment. Yeah. Uh, so that was a, it was a pretty big moment for us. So that was us. 2008. 2008, spring of 2008, we visited. And June 2nd, um, we were here. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you really guys have cool. kids? We do. We have a, a, a three-year-old and a five-year-old little girl, little nice. girls. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, and they kick our butt daily. Same. But um, never had more fun in my life. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right. So tell us. Okay. So you moved to Charleston, yep. and you're still in selling practical items. Yeah. So I well, I you know I, I took a job at Ellis Island, um, which the Ellis Island of Charleston is a is a company called Blackbot uh, mm-hmm. that makes software for nonprofit organizations. And I think that many people find their path to Charleston through Blackbot, which I is have why a lot of friends that work there. Yeah. So yeah. It's, why, it's why I call it Ellis Island. Yeah. So I, I took a job there <laughs> to sort of get out of financial services and stay in you know this kind of sales career that I that began. And, um, and it was I could do it in my sleep. It was so much easier than selling insurance. So. Um, you know, it was a great corporate culture at the time, had a lot of fun. It got me here, uh, spent four years there and um, made a lot of great friends, a lot of great connections. Uh, but that's really what got me here. Uh, and that was sort of my, um, uh, but, but, you know, so to give you a little bit more of my story. Yes. And, and do, so I grew up, if you, people that get to meet me don't realize this, and, and I don't always offer this, but I grew up in Section 8 housing. Mm. Um, and so I grew up, you know, quite poor. Uh, now we didn't, we didn't lack food. Like there was always food and, and that's part of my story. But, uh, but it was, you know, I grew up in a two bedroom apartment that was 600 square feet. And, um, you know, I was the minority in my community. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately around middle school, my, my, I was failing in school. I wasn't performing well. And my mom was smart enough to pull me out of that school and move me into a school district or, or move me into a school within the dis- district that, um, you know, just had a, a, I guess, a better track record. Yeah. And, and so I, I essentially in middle school got moved to this really high performing school that was in an affluent community. And so I had this interesting, you know, duality as a kid where I, you know, go home to essentially the projects right. and then go to school in what would be considered, you know, upper-class America. Um, and, uh, and I would look at my friends at school and, and there was always this kind of desire of like, I want what they have, right? you know, and I want 
their, you know, their houses and their cars. And I want the, you know, the family life that they have. And, and I didn't necessarily have that. Um, but also, you know, what I think it, it helped is sort of form this really well-rounded uh, kid because I could see sort of both sides. Right. Um, but that sort of drove me. And so in high school, I didn't play sports. I didn't join social clubs. I didn't run for class president. Um, I started a landscaping business. Oh, cool. And and so I started cutting grass to make money because I wanted to buy my own car. And, you know, all of my friends were getting these great hand-me-down cars. Right. They were getting, you know, their parents' old BMW or their parents' right. old Mercedes. And I was like, well, I got to keep up with that. Yeah, right. So in high school, I had a $380 a month car payment uh, that I made with no issues. Um, and I always had cash in my pocket. And so my my nickname in high school was Jay Burke Enterprises. Um, and so, like I said, I didn't play started sports. Started hustling young. I was hustling young. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I always had cash in my pocket. And I started helping my parents pay bills. And um, Are you an only child? I'm not. I have a, a younger sister and an older brother, but we're all 10 years apart. Okay. So we kind of grew up like only children. Right. Um, and and so I stayed in Tampa for school. I went to, to USF, which is which is the college there, and because I had a landscaping business that I wanted to continue, and then I went to business school so that I could do both. I could Putting learn business. Schools. Yeah. Well, I could learn business while being in business. Right. And, um, and that was fun. And then when I got out of school, I just wanted to get out of blue collar world. And so I went into what I thought was white collar America selling insurance and mutual funds and things like that. But, right. you know, people try to think about, you know, what what built you or, or what makes you a good entrepreneur or what makes you want to be an entrepreneur or any of those types of things. Well, for me, it started very young. Yeah. So let me ask you a question because that's a really interesting story and I did not know. Thank you for sharing that. Um, was that like a hard turn when you did change schools to like make friends or was that just an easy... Yeah. I, no, I don't recall it to be. You were young. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember it to be difficult. Yeah. I, I think it was probably a couple of weeks and an easy transition. Uh, but I, I don't. You're an easy guy to talk to. Yeah, I, I don't remember <laughs> that being a difficult moment for me. I, I remember it being more difficult of the new friends I was making. I was honestly, there was always this kind of general anxiety about inviting them into my world. Right. And so I would always go to see them. So whenever like there was a, let's hang out with you know, let's hang out with. Johnny, well, we would go to Johnny's house. Johnny right. wasn't coming to my house. Right. Um, or we would hang out on Johnny's side of town, not on my side of town. And so right. uh, there was always this general anxiety of like, they're never coming to my house. Right. Um, so, but, but that was probably the, the bigger challenge. Making new friends wasn't, wasn't an issue. Yeah. Okay. So you're in school. You, so you did uh, college and then business school, mm-hmm. both in Tampa. Mm-hmm. You're growing your business. Mm-hmm. Do you have employees? Before yeah. you before you go white collar, you're still blue collar. Yeah, blue collar. I still, I, yeah. Well, I had one full time person that worked with me all the time, um, and then we would always sort of just bring in whenever there were projects or or big, you know. So did you have a business license and everything? Yeah, yeah. You pulled I was, that when you were like 16. Yeah, I, well, I was audited by the IRS when I was 21, um, <laughs> which is just fascinating. I'm like, I have no money. Why are you auditing me? Um, and so uh, I don't know why I was randomly drawn from the hat, but I was ran- I was literally audited by the IRS when I was 21. I, I, I wanted to grow up so fast, and I wanted to have all of these things. So you know, and it, it started young. And I, so in college with my landscaping business, I bought my first house. Mm-hmm. I was audited by the IRS, and. Um, and and then I got married at 22, so okay. you know I thought I was 40, um, <laughs> and um, and so you know I took myself very seriously, and I was really you know my that those early years were all about me sort of 
digging myself out of what I perceived as being in poverty yeah, and digging myself out of poverty. And sort of the goal was to, you know, can I change my family tree? You know, can I adjust this and make an impact and change my family tree forever? Uh-huh. So that those were all things that sort of drove the inner entrepreneur in me. Yeah. Um, so when I left blue collar world into white collar world, it was, okay, well, this is one step in that direction. Um, and then as the market crashed and I decided I didn't want to be in the financial services world anymore. And we moved to Charleston and, <clears throat> and I took the sales job. There was still the entrepreneurial bug that was always there and it hadn't left. And, um, but I, you know, taking the job at Blackbaud was a, a means to an end. It was, well, let me get to Charleston and then I will figure out what I actually want to be when I grow up. Right. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay. So you're at Blackbaud. Is your wife work there as well? No. Okay. No. Um, I feel like a lot of people when they work together there. Or I don't know why I think that. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I've never worked in a corporate world. This is like my vision. <laughs> it's like the office. <laughs> it, well, it is. There are lots of, yeah, lots of, lots of romances form in the workplace. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, especially there, you know, it's a, it's a young culture. And so there's lots of young, you know, young people that are sort of all looking for that in their life. Right. And, Making a little and, bit of money, going out for happy hours. That's it. Right. Sleep where you sleep. Yeah. Got it. There you go. Um, okay. So you're at Blackbot and you've got this spirit and you're like, maybe this isn't working for me right now. Yeah, so I was, well, it wasn't necessarily that it wasn't working for me. So, so this is where if you know we talk about these moments that are real and these aha moments, right. and these things You're that sort for of real moment. Yeah, and and so a big one for me was right after we moved to Charleston and I was working in this job, and um, both of my parents were then diagnosed with chronic illness, mm. um, and so my mom was diagnosed with cancer and my dad was diagnosed with heart disease. Both had surgeries within a few months of each other. My dad opened heart and my mom to remove a tumor and. Um, in both scenarios, uh, the the main questions that that I asked of the doctors and, and and everyone that we spoke with were, well, why did this happen, and is it preventable? And in each scenario, both said, yeah, this is both both of these are preventable, and both of these are one hundred percent related to diet and lifestyle. Mm. And um, I was <laughs> I was sitting in the waiting room during my dad's surgery. And I was sitting next to an older guy, and, and he, we were just talking. And you know, this is that's that moment where everybody's really nervous and tensions are really high, and you're just waiting for someone to come out and tell you that surgery went well, right. and so on. And, um, and and I had already had these conversations with the doctors about why did this happen. And this guy's sitting here talking to me, and he goes, "Well, about all you can do is prepare for when that's you in there." Mm. And I remember re- like everything in my soul rejecting that, and and I was like, "What do you, what do you mean about all I can do is?" Is prepare for when that's me. The doctor said that to you, or the guy? No, the The guy guy sitting next to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Got it. Yeah, the guy sitting next to me, and 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 I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, I mean, this is all genetic. This is going to be you someday. If your dad has it, you're going to have it." And you're like, like, "Thanks, bud." Yeah, I was like, "Well, absolutely not." Yeah. Um, my dad's surgery went well, and and he, you know, he came out of that and and survived, and and so on. And then I, I, I came back to Charleston, and. The, the whole ride back, I'm, but that, that comment kind of stuck with me. Yeah. And it really bothered me. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't necessarily like into my fitness or paying attention to anything diet related or anything like that back then. And um, I was like, well, you know, maybe I should join a gym. Maybe I should work out. If these things are, you know, maybe I should learn a little bit about what I'm putting into my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, my wife had, had, uh, done a few of these hip hop dance classes mm-hmm. on, on, and we lived in a little condo on, on Daniel Island. Yeah. And with Angel. She, yeah. And she had done a few of these hip hop dance classes with Angel. Mm-hmm. And, um, she came home from one of those and said, Hey, you know, Angel's husband's starting this thing called CrossFit. You should go to it. Um, and let's all go. And so we did, and we went and, and I remember being in there and, and the warm up was over and, and I didn't know that that was just the warm up. And I remember, 
Robert, who owned, who was the founder of that gym, Robert said, he said, you know, all right, well, that's the warm up. And I was like, what do you mean? The you were like, wait, I'm leaving. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like, we're done, right? Um, but it was essentially like there was enough there that I said, well, I'm going to keep doing this. And fortunately for me, Robert um, was more interested in diet and nutrition than I think fitness. Mm-hmm. And so during you know these painful workouts, he would just be preaching nutrition. And he would just be talking about different ways to eat and how to fuel your body and, and all of those things I was hungry for. Mm-hmm. And um, he introduced me to this thing called paleo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and not necessarily as a dogma or as a like, you know, this is the only way or the right, right way, but more as a, hey, here's a framework that if you follow, your, your body will probably perform for you better. Right. And for me, it made total sense. And so my, you know, for me... And in, in, in paleos, you're removing the 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 grains and the and you know the bread and the pastas and things like that. That was never a big issue for me. It was the sweets for me, mm-hmm. and so my biggest struggle was like I just always want something sweet after a Same. a meal. <laughs> um, but uh, but he introduced me to this thing called paleo, and it worked. And and for you know I, I lost forty five pounds in the next seven or eight months, Jeez. and um, you know I was combining both fitness and nutrition, of course. Yep. And so I was working out and I was eating right. And uh, and it just worked for me. So for our listeners, just before we move on, tell us, can you give us a little general paleo? That some for people that don't know what it is. Yeah, real. I mean, real simple, right? High quality uh, protein, so lean meats um, and uh, lots of fruits and veggies and healthy fats. I mean, essentially, that's, that's as simple as it gets. Um, removing highly processed foods, you know, limiting the grain intake, limiting the, the sugar and really sugar being the, the, the biggest thing that really should be removed. But if you focus on high quality proteins, um, high quality fats and, uh, lots of good, lots of good veggies. Um, I think you're, that's your framework. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, so essentially, uh, that worked for me and, and, you know, my, my, my parents ailments sort of, you know, really inspired that Mm -hmm. uh, in me. And my biggest struggle always, as I mentioned, was the sweets. Mm-hmm. And and so because I was working out so frequently, I would always take all these desk snacks with me because I was just hungry and, I, and, and I'm a snacker. And so there was, I mean, everything from boiled eggs to uh, beef jerky to, you know, trail mix and things that were just always in my desk because I, I wanted to stay away from the snack machine. Mm-hmm. And at two or three o'clock, as the willpower starts to fade, uh, the Snickers looks really good in that mm-hmm. snack machine. You and you're like, and that is the time. Like it's like my blo- like when my blood sugar drops, and like it coincides for me a lot of times when I'm like, I'm at my weakest, and then all my kids come home, and I'm like, oh my god, yes. I'm like, let's all have cookies together. Yes, hundred <laughs> you <know>? percent. Yeah, <laughs> that's when it is for me today, for sure, hundred yeah. um, percent. And and for some reason, there are always cookies around. I'm like, why are there cookies? <laughs> like in my right house? there, there's girl Becca. The Girl Scout cookies have got to go. Don't yeah. look at them, Jason. Yeah, it's Don't. Tough They're for rude. Me. It's, t- it's tough for me. It's tough for them to be here in the room yeah. with me. Yeah. It's a, so, so that was, uh, you know, taking snacks were, were, the, were the thing. And so what was interesting is the one that would always disappear from my desk was my homemade beef jerky. Um, and, I don't, and, and I was making homemade beef jerky because, I, again, the goal was to eliminate sugar intake at the time. And I realized that all beef jerky was made with lots of sugar. So forget the stuff that's like, forget all the preservatives, forget the sodium, forget all the things that, that also could be bad for you. But the, the dirty secret in that product is that there's a lot of sugar in it. Mm-hmm. And that didn't make sense to me. So I did a Google search of how to make beef jerky. 
and I started watching. And by the way, if you Google that and start watching some YouTube videos, it's pretty interesting. But um, <laughs> go down, go down a hole. A uh, it's hole? a rabbit hole. Yeah. It's a very interesting <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, and I bought a little forty dollar tabletop dehydrator and yep. started making homemade beef jerky. And but it would it was what disappeared off my desk most often. It was also the most expensive thing mm-hmm. that I would take. Um, so I just put a tip jar out and made people start paying me for it. Yeah. And people did. They would put tens and twenties, and they put little sticky notes attached to it, and be like, "Hey, make me." Five bags of this stuff the next time you make it. It's awesome. So uh, that was the beginning of the the journey that we're on today. And would you just buy the beef at the store? So um, I'm like, would you kill the cow? <laughs> How did you get the beef? And I say that, and I don't I, because my husband my husband hunts, and a lot of his friends do, and they make a lot of their like snack sticks, and they make their own jerky and stuff like that. But it's not with beef. They're usually doing like venison. Right? And yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think people that make it homemade and that hunt and, you know, they're hunting yeah. deer. They're not, I mean, heck, cows are easy to hunt, right? They're not moving a whole lot. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Just going to go out and hunt some cows this weekend. <laughs> Namaste. But there okay. was, <laughs> there was, um, I was getting meat from a, a, a CSA. Okay. Um, and uh, I called up one of the farmers and just said, hey, I'd like more and I want this specific cut and can you get me more of that? And so I was sourcing a lot of it locally. Um, and then I found a, a butcher shop locally that would then also bring in uh, grass-fed beef for me specifically, and I would have them pre-slice it so mm-hmm. I didn't have to do all that extra slicing, um, especially as I was making it for other people. I didn't want to do all this extra work at the house, but I went from one dehydrator to six in about six months in my house, and I was in this little condo, and and you know each dehydrator is about the size of a small microwave. Mm-hmm. And it's six of these things going on my kitchen counter. And You've got a nice wife. Well, she, so she comes home from a girl's night and was like, all right, you, this stuff has to go. Everything we have smells like smoke. You know, I don't care if you want to keep doing this, but find somewhere else to make it. Yeah. And that was an aha moment that, well, are we, do we have an idea here? Are we on to something? Right. Like it's beef jerky. Are we serious? So we just threw up a website and I rented a little 200 square foot shared kitchen catering space and um, people started ordering it from our website. And, and was it? Called New Primal then? So um, the the original LLC that we formed was called the Happy Apple. And I, I still own that name uh, because there was a thought, the entrepreneur in me thought, well, maybe I'll open a health food store. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we offer will be our own house-made beef jerky. And so I thought the Happy Apple made sense as like a really happy yeah. health food store name. Uh, it's a I, happy name. Yeah. But, you know, a little, <laughs> bit of, little bit of research into what a, you know, a retail store takes to run and, and, you know, how much money they actually make from the work that goes in. I was like, well, this is a terrible idea. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and so we stuck with the beef jerky though, temporarily. And that's when we, we we renamed it to the new primal. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was, everybody tries to figure out, you know, where do names come from and all of that. But essentially it was, well, if they're, if we're going to follow this framework or this paleo or primal framework of, of, diet and nutrition and how you eat. Well, most people don't go hunt and gather their food today, Correct. right? Modern day hunting and gathering is done in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't want to be inauthentic and, you know, with just the word primal in there and think that like, you know, cause we're not out, I'm not out hunting mm-hmm. these things. Um, hunting and, cows. and so, you know, there's a new way to eat primal and, and so this is a way to do it. Right. So we just really put the words new and primal together in it. It made sense. It's, it's a hit. It's a, I like the name. Yeah. It's catchy. Um, okay, so now you're in your 200-square-foot place making your jerky. Yep. Still at Blackbond? 
Yep, for 18 months. Okay. So for about a year and a half after we rented the... Are you selling it online yet or... Just online. Okay. So you would ship? Yeah, exclusively online. I would ship and then local people would order from me and sometimes they would pull up to Blackbaud. And they, their car would pull up to the front. It's like a drug deal? Very much so. I would walk out with a box. <laughs> they would hand me cash in an envelope. And we would do this transaction exchange. And then they would drive off. And it was very much a drug deal. I mean, it, it looked exactly like a drug deal. Yes. Uh, and I would walk back in. You know, It was a 10-second transaction. I would walk back into the office with a pocket full of cash. Um, so, yeah, that was... Uh, that was a lot of fun. We did that for about, like I said, for about 18 months as the website orders were increasing and as people were... And did you have an employee then or was your wife helping you? Or? So my wife helped a lot very early on, thankfully. Um, we had a couple of people that were part-time. Um, and then uh, there were there were a couple of a couple of girls that... Um, women, ladies, what, what, they're okay. women, they're grown women, right? That, that were <laughs> running the Lululemon showroom yep. that had that had been brought into they'd brought to Charleston and they were both just hustling all over town. And I would see them at various fitness events or different mm-hmm. different things that were going on in town and they were always to me they just had a lot of hustle muscle. Yeah. And I told them at some point in that journey I said at some point I want to recruit both of you uh, when you know when I actually like start my company. I want to recruit both of you. Um, well as Lululemon transitioned from the showroom to the actual store um, one of those girls left. Um, and I got a phone call. I was at Blackboard, and I was still probably four months before I left. Uh-huh. And I got a phone call from her, and, and she said, hey, I'm not at Lululemon anymore. Remember that conversation you had about recruiting us? She goes, well, I want to come to work with you. Melissa. Um, no, this was Ashley. Oh, okay, I know Ashley too. Yeah, this was Ashley. And Ashley said, I want to come to work with you. And I was like, well, I, I don't know what you would do yet. I don't really work for me yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Um, Okay, let's just figure it out, and um, and literally the next day Ashley showed up and would just did anything that needed to be done. Yeah, and so Ashley was full time in my business before I was full time. Got it. Um, and so Ashley began, you know, working with the USDA, and Ashley began packaging beef jerky and like shipping out orders and putting labels on product. I mean, so just really anything and everything that was uh, that was needed. Um, and then I left Blackbot in September of 2012. And um, Melissa, who was the other person at Lululemon that we said we would recruit, uh, Melissa joined us in January. Okay. So four months after I went full time, Melissa came in. Got it. Uh, so that was the. Uh, so yes, we started with Ashley and Melissa, who I had told I don't know seven or eight months prior to that that I was going to recruit both of them, and both of them sort of recruited themselves. I like it, which was awesome. Yeah, they said, "Okay, cool, I'll be there." Yeah. And do they both still work for you? Um, no. Uh, so Ashley. Um, about a year ago, Ashley had her first baby. Oh, okay. Do they still live in town? Um, they do. They okay. do. Um, Ashley had her first baby and decided that um, you know the her path was you know she was she worked with me for four years mm-hmm. um, and had done everything and we still we're still great friends and remain in contact. But um, that little baby changed her life. Yeah. And so she wanted to stay home and spend more time with that baby, and that's totally fine by me. Yeah. Um, and Melissa's a partner in the business. She bought in pretty early and. Um, yeah, and uh, probably the hardest working person I know. Yeah, she's I like Melissa. Mm-hmm. She's a good girl. All right, so now you've got these two women yep. that are with you. Yep. And you're all together in your 200-square-foot place. Well, we were in about 600 square feet now. Okay, so you bumped it. Yeah, we bumped it. Everybody needed like 200 of their own. <laughs> about 600 square feet, no windows. 
Um, we called it the cave. Uh, and <laughs> you were in the primal cave. We were in the cave. There were no <laughs> windows. You didn't know, like, when you went outside, if it was still daylight or if it was dark or if it was raining. I've been to bars like that before, actually. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Same thing. And we would we'd just work all day, and then we would go outside, and again, sometimes it would be dark, and we had no idea what right. time of day it was or what was going on. So... Uh, yeah, we, we spent some time there doing, again, lots of packaging, still just selling beef jerky. Um, just beef jerky. Just beef jerky. Different flavors? Yep. So, you know, we were making a, a trail mix. So we would mix nuts and fruit with the beef jerky. We called that a trail pack early on. And then we had a just beef jerky product. And then we started making a spicy beef jerky because we were getting really creative with, with culinary flavors. Uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> spicy, mild teriyaki. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. But, you know, the, the, the big thing for us was it was, you know, the high quality proteins. We were sourcing 100% grass fed beef, which was unavailable in the market at the time. Um, and, um, you know, we took out the soy. So we were trying to remove the soy and, and replace soy sauce, which is a traditional ingredient in most beef jerky with, with something that was better. Mm-hmm. And so we found this this amazing thing called coconut aminos, which is the you know, which comes from the nectar of the coconut blossom. And they're and and just to give you a little plug, I have them, and they're it's so good. It's it, I, it, I use it for meat. I use it in my dress. I mean, we use it for everything. It's amazing. It's so good. It's amazing. So we discovered this stuff that we could use in place of soy sauce, and I thought it actually tasted better. Now the difference was, it was drastically more expensive to mm-hmm. source. And so where like traditional soy sauce or even tamari was seven or eight dollars a seven or eight dollars a gallon, this stuff at the time was forty dollars a gallon. Oh wow! And so you know, how do you make a, a product that's already expensive in beef jerky? It is and, expensive. Yeah, even the garbage is. Yeah, expensive. it is. Yeah. So how do you make a garbage? You know, a product that even the garbage is expensive. You make it very high quality and then try to make it somewhat reasonable. Uh, that was the biggest challenge for us early because there's, we don't have any money. To, there's no the, the operation isn't scaled up by mm-hmm. any means. So, so we were doing that, and then we said, "Well, let's let's make a different meat. Let's make turkey jerky." Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we would expand into that. Uh, but the long and short there on on that part of the journey is um, we decided to stop producing it ourselves about two years in. We realized that we are much better at selling and marketing and storytelling and building the brand than we are manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And so we found other facilities that could help us with the manufacturing side of the business and we could focus on you know, telling the story and and sort of being the voice of the brand and and building the brand itself. and and so the that outsourcing the manufacturing presented a whole host of challenges that none of us were prepared to to tackle, um, but we just had to do it head on. I mean, it was um, if you you know none of us had any experience in the business and we had no idea what we were doing, and it was just sort of you know bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell. Yeah, and that was our mentality. Yeah. Um, but as we outsourced. Um, one of the biggest challenges was uh, we had two facilities that would make our beef jerky for us, and they were in different states. And without getting into all the food science, uh, we were getting two different products, mm. same specs, same ingredients, same processes, but the, the output was different. Um, and so we were trying to figure out, well, how do we make them the same? So one of the things that we did to, to offset or, or mitigate that risk was we decided to start making the marinade in advance, putting it in barrels and shipping it in so that they didn't have to mix their own marinade on site at these two different facilities. So it should have been foolproof. Just take this bucket, dump right. it on meat, you know, let it sit for 24 hours, and then go cook it, right, in, in, in essence. And that did help tremendously. 
But what we found was in making that marinade in advance, we found that that product itself was a pretty cool all-purpose cooking sauce that was ultra clean, that had a base of coconut aminos Mm -hmm. and some simple spices. And we realized that, well, this works at home too. And, uh, you know, long and short is I sent a sample to one of the contacts that I knew at Whole Foods and he was a regional buyer in the, in the Rocky Mountain region, which by the way, let me, let me back up two, two steps. One, um, eight years ago today, I auditioned for the Charleston Farmer's Market. I saw that notification on, on Facebook, that memory pop mm-hmm. up and we were denied. So we did not. You have to audition? You have to audition. At least back then you did. Wow. So we auditioned, like you set up your table and you present what you're selling. And um, so we were denied that, um, which was pretty cool. Look who's laughing now. (laughs) (laughs) Which was pretty cool. Well, seven months later, Publix is like, yes, we will sell your grass-fed beef jerky. I'm like, okay. So screw um, you, Marion's great. (laughs) (laughs) So so exactly. I was like, well, all right, great. But but anyway, so we're scaling this up. We realized that this recipe works. I couldn't get a meeting at my local Whole Foods, but I sent this to the guy that I knew in the Rocky Mountain region. And and he, I was like, will you just cook with this and tell me if this is good and give me your, you know, You're talking about out west. Out west. I'm like, give me your feedback on this. And he cooks with it. And he calls me up a week later <laughs> and he says, Jason, this is incredible. Um, do you want to launch it? I was like, well, if you think it's great, yeah, I'd love to launch it. And um, he said, well, guess what? I just got a new job. I'm moving to Austin, and I'm going to work for Whole Foods headquarters. Um, why don't you come to headquarters, and let's talk about how to launch this product nationally instead of just regionally in the Rocky Mountain region. So and I, cool. I was like, well, even better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so I flew to Austin, and we sat around a big conference room. We talked about this product and how to launch it and what to do. And we only had a few months to, like, commercialize it, meaning it needed to have a label and get the nutrition panels and, you know, get some FDA approvals and things like that. And So um, does that mean that they're part of the product when they help you launch it or they're just kind of giving you ideas and supporting you? No, they're just giving us ideas and supporting okay. us. No, cool. I mean, look, it, I'm, I'm sure there are some arrangements they make in those scenarios that we've never done that. They've just been really great partners and, and given guidance. So they care. Um, yeah, they, they, they love to take part in innovation, at least in my experience. Yeah. And so I just happen to have one relationship that you know really worked as they moved to the headquarters and then um, we launched that we launched so our first three products that went into Whole Foods on a national level were three marinades that had nothing to do with beef jerky or mm-hmm. meat snacks or, or anything like that um, and that sort of set off this this pleasant surprise in our business where we never abandoned and we still haven't like we still very much support the um, you know, the, the premium meat snack mm-hmm. category, and we sell lots of those products. Um, but it sort of, you know, adjusted the journey where the brand then had this platform and condiments that could help people cook yeah. or help people prepare healthy meals um, with ease with these, with these essentially then these three marinades that we mm-hmm. had, which was just an all-purpose classic, a spicy and a citrus herb. And they just mirrored the flavor profiles of our beef jerky products. Right, right. Um, so that sort of began the journey down this path of making condiments and partnering with Whole Foods on some of our innovation and, and looking at the categories that were sleepy or that had been underserved or that, you know, consumers had really been, you know, what I think, you know, not been given great options. And so it sort of opened that, that pathway for us. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's so cool because now you guys have all the dressings, 
And so that just kind of, is there, do you have like a lemon, is it lemon turmeric or lemon there's tahini? A, there's a, well, there's an almond butter turmeric. Okay. That's not the one. There's I'm a of. sriracha tahini. I love that one. And there's a citrus zest. Love that one. That um, sriracha one, we went through like that. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Like on salads. Yeah. So it's, you know, we, we started with marinades. We moved into barbecue and buffalo sauce. So we have the number one selling marinade at Whole Foods nationally. We have the number one barbecue nice. sauce at Whole Foods nationally. We have the number one buffalo sauce at Whole Foods nationally. Um, and we just launched a line of salad dressings, which is what you're referring to now this past spring, um, along with bottling up our own coconut aminos. Yep. Um, and then in January, we launched ketchup. Uh-huh. Uh, so a no sugar added ketchup, but you know, there in this storyline, there are two of these. What I think are you real moments right. for, for me? One was well, my my parents were diagnosed with these chronic illnesses directly related to diet and nutrition, which which sort of set off this journey for me to of discovery, um, and then passion around. Okay, well, if there's a bunch of garbage on the shelves and consumers don't know it, which categories are terrible, and how can we clean them up? Well, I don't. I can't think of a you know, especially six or seven years ago, I can't think of a, a, a more terrible category than beef jerky mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like the sourcing from from animal feedlots and the preservatives and the, you know, the artificial things that they put into it to make it. Yeah. Um, I can't think of one that deserved someone to come in and disrupt it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we take great pride in the fact that we played a role in doing that. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, outside of that, and then as we moved into condiments, and I didn't really realize this, but it might be one of the worst aisles in the grocery store because every even the salad dressings are full of sugar and full of things that just are either unnecessary or lazy or mm-hmm. cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and the consumer thinks they're eating well and they're not. Because mm-hmm. um, that's so true because you, like, you go, you're like, I'm going to make a salad, I'm going to be healthy, and then you put shit on top of it. Well, you mm-hmm. put 20 grams of sugar on top of it and you, know, and you think you're eating a healthy salad. And you it's like when my husband used to order a salad and I'd be like, oh, what would you have for lunch? And he's like, oh, you know, like a fried chicken salad with ranch. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that is not a salad. Yeah, could have had three donuts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah been exactly. It's been just fine. <laughs> Um, but you know, one of the things that, so what, what makes this journey really real for me now, and it didn't hit me until, well, really call it two years ago, it really hit me. Um, so I lost my mom two years ago, um, after a seven year battle. Uh, Thank you. Uh, And my mom was a great cook. And so my mom didn't finish school. Um, my mom dropped out of school and went to work for this family that owned this Italian restaurant in Florida. Um, and it was a family run restaurant and she had these heirloom, like, you know, hundred plus year old family recipes mm-hmm. that she was, that she learned from these women. Um, and then my mom is also half Cuban. And so she had all these aunts and uncles with all of these, again, sort of these heirloom family recipes. And so my mom was the neighborhood cook. And so anytime there was a graduation, anytime there was a birthday party, anytime there was any, a funeral, an event, my mom would cook. Um, and she would cook every night for multiple people, like outside of our family. And I had this revolving door in our little, you know, our little Section 8 house where neighbors would come over or aunts and uncles or cousins. People would just show up to eat. Mm-hmm. And she always had extra because she knew people would. Um, and so when I gave, I gave the eulogy at her funeral, and um, there were about 350 people at her funeral. And, and I asked, if I said, if my mom's ever cooked you a meal, would you stand? Mm. And the whole room, <laughs> sorry, I don't want to. <laughs> I've told the story a lot, and I've cried a lot with it. So maybe I won't. Um, but everyone stood. The whole entire room stood. And I, and I couldn't speak. I mean, for like five minutes, I just yeah. stood there and watched. I, there was nothing that could come out. I'm sorry. No, I'm sure like everybody <laughs> in that room is crying too, you yeah. know? Yeah. And and so... Um, every, we like to cry. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Listen, I never cried. And then my mom died and I cry every day. So it's fine. And you fine. have two daughters. And I, yes. 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 Oh, okay. 
so it all came together for me though then. And in that moment, I thought, how ironic, because I didn't learn to cook. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to. Yeah. She could cook. And how ironic that I found myself in the food business and that now that journey has taken me to a place where I can help other people cook. Yeah. And other people um, prepare meals for their family. Because even if you're not a good cook, you don't even have to be, you don't, you don't even have to be adequate. You can just pour my sauce on stuff and it Thank you God. look like a good cook. <laughs> and so, you know, we we started this initiative with with our brand that we call it Return to the Table. And the goal is to just reconnect with people. Mm. And what my again, I, I never realized this until my, she passed and I can look back on it. What she was best in the world at was curating a space where people would come and feel safe and they would eat a delicious meal and they would laugh and they would cry and they would connect. Mm. And so what my mom was best in the world at was community and connection. And she just used, she just used food, mm-hmm. right, to facilitate that. And, and so what a better way to honor her legacy than to offer people a way to do that. And so, you know, this initiative that we have around Return to the Table is, is let's get more hands in the kitchen and more hearts around the table and let's take 20 minutes and put the phones down and let's actually connect as human beings. And and so the are you... I love the, you, Jason. <laughs> the, biggest, the biggest are you real moment for me was that. Yeah. It was it's like... beautiful. It's so true. Smokes. It's so true because... It's like, you know, we all have busy lives. I know you're sitting here and Lindsay has three kids as well. It's like you, you're constantly moving. And if you can just connect, like make eye contact with someone, it's, it's, that's what human connection is all about. And food is community. Yes. We crave it. So it's one of our most, one of our most primal needs, right? Is we, we crave connection with other humans and we usually, and today, because we have three kids and we have businesses to run and we have all of these priorities that pull at us from, we forget the connection piece. And so we end up numbing ourselves with our phones mm-hmm. and we scroll aimlessly and mindlessly to numb ourselves or to disconnect when really we should be connecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, we make, we make food products. There's your teaser right there, Lindsay. <laughs> that was really, that's... You are saying so much of what I we say in the room too. It's like mm. we're, you know, we're numbing ourselves out so we don't have to feel. And the only way to heal is to feel, yeah. right? And I am a firm believer that by sharing our stories, that we do, we we touch each other. And like you might touch someone right now in another state when they hear your story, and they go and do something for one of their children. And it's just, you know, we're going to heal the world by sharing ourselves, whether it's through this podcast over food. But it's like when we have these. Whether, whether, whatever your thing is, whether it's your phone, money, drugs, whatever your thing is that you use to numb, if we're constantly coming up against that and not sitting with it and dealing with that, then there's nothing. It's just, it's it's like more of the same over and over. 100% agree. And I, I was talking to my wife recently and I said, do I bring up my mom in like every conversation that I have? You know, because I can almost hear myself yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And she goes, well, maybe not everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but. It is, it is how we heal. Yeah. And, and, and if, if you just bottle it in or numb yourself with these other, totally. like, you don't. Right. And, and like, there's this, there's going to be a void anyway. And so for me, telling that story has, one, it's, it's opened me up and mm-hmm. opened new pathways in my own life where, yeah, you, you mentioned crying and, and I don't know that I cried for a decade until she passed. Yeah. And then now sort of like 
I'm completely vulnerable and open to it. Yeah. You know, and I've told so many stories where I, I've been on stage and been giving talks about business and, you know, and I'll cry. Yeah. Um, I told this story in front of the, um, very, very soon thereafter her passing, I told this story in front of, um, a hundred women at a, at a whole 30 coaches conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, all 100 of us cried together. Um, and, um, and it's just a beautiful moment though. It really it, it, is. It, 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 because again, we crave this connection and that's where, that's where progress and healing and all of these things take place. And, and I think if you're, if you don't put yourself in that, that place of being vulnerable, it'll never happen. I could not agree with you more. And I love that you said progress too, because it's like having conversations that might not be the most comfortable conversations, forward moving conversations. Like, I don't know the answer, but I want to be part of the conversation, right? Whether it's food, race, whatever it is, like addiction, I'm just pulling up different things. But I think it's, if we can take things out of the closet, like shame or whatever, you know, like people are like, well, I got to look a certain way, act a certain way, and I'll just hold this all inside. And I think that's when we start just dying on the inside. Totally. Do you want to teach at the works too? Do you have a little time and, you know, <laughs> like a little side hustle? <laughs> sure. Sign me up. Sign me up. Um, so thank you for that. So um, a few things I would, would love to ask you about, because I know that you spoke with Carter, who does our, all of our in-house marketing, and she told me you guys had a really interesting conversation about the plant-based movement. Uh, look, I think the plant-based movement is great. I'm in the meat industry, so, you know, I, I might have a slight <laughs> bias, um, but, but Look, I, I, as with all things, um, I personally don't believe that there's a one-size-fits-all diet or, or path to, you know, ideal um, wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't, I don't think that – I think the, what the plant-based movement has done – uh, they've done, well, first of all, the, the term plant-based is a much better marketing term and a much better positioning than vegan, right, or vegetarian. I think those just plant-based sounds cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar to how climate change sounds better than global warming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think they've done a really good job positioning. Um, and they're also, they've done a really good job, like, screaming from the rooftops and getting their message out. Well, I have to just say this because it Lindsay was pointing this out the other day. Lindsay's our producer. I know a lot of you that listen know that. But Lindsay's freaking hysterical. And she was saying how like Marjorie got their groove back because now they're calling themselves vegan. <laughs> Country Crocs having a moment. I'm, I'm stealing this straight out of Lindsay's mouth. It's freaking hysterical. But I was looking at Bon Appetit the other day and it was their healthiest, um, probably like a January one or whatever. And it was this whole um, advertisement. And my, my two-year-old and I were looking at it and he was like, I said, who's that? And we were, I don't know, just looking. And he was like, that's grandma. And I don't, we don't even have someone we call grandma, but he just knew. And it was all about like plant-based margarine. But the whole time it's been, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, well, the the repositioning of of the term has helped all of those products sort of experience a little bit of a resurgence. Now the, the, the issue I have with that, so here's, here's where like, again, I don't think there's a one size fits all. And I in general don't have any issues with, you know, the, the movement of things that are plant-based. I think where, where it gets muddy, um, and the same thing happens in paleo and, and some of these other, you know, food tribe type, type things, um, where it gets muddy is when, when you, you make a product that is, um, that is serving that audience, but it's highly processed. Mm-hmm. And so if you're eating plant-based whole foods, great, more power to you. Fantastic. But don't tell me you're eating a plant-based cookie that comes from pea protein 
for example, and, and uh, you know, I'll have this debate with anybody anytime, pea protein is, is not a healthy product for anybody. And if you think about it, forget the science and for, you don't have to be, you don't even have to know anything about nutrition. Think of, think of a pea and think about what you have to do to extract the protein <laughs> molecule to make a protein powder from a pea. It is one of the most highly processed foods on our planet. And so if, you, if you're just thinking like, oh, I'm eating a plant-based cookie that has 77 ingredients in it that are highly processed, I'm sorry, it's not healthy. It's yeah. not good for you. So if you're eating plant-based whole foods, great. Um, but s- soybean oil and canola oil have been the cause of heart disease for the last 30 years. Don't tell me that today it's called plant-based and it's healthy. Um, you know, 30 years ago, there was a big campaign against coconut oil, um, and how that was killing people and how that was so terrible for people. And coconut oil is a miracle food, mm-hmm. right? It's a miracle product in many, many ways. And they replaced coconut oil, which is a super healthy fat, with canola oil or, or hydrogenated fats, um, which clogged everyone's arteries. And, and so, you know, you, you're not going to put a new label on it and make it pretty again and call it plant-based country crock <laughs> and tell me that it's healthy. And, and you're doing a disservice to the community. You're doing a disservice to the consumers who aren't doing the research, who right. don't know any better, who just hear the term plant-based and think it's healthier totally. for some reason. And so that's the issue that I have with it. The other issue that I have being in the meat business is that you know, whether you think meat's good for you or not, the, the, the common argument around people that consume animal products um, is that, you know, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like everything is just sort of like, this is all bad for you. And so, you know, we are vehemently against confined animal feedlot operations where animals are crowded into crates and cages and pumped up with hormones and antibiotics and they're sick all the time and, Mm. you know, they're fed an unnatural diet. Well, sure. Yeah. Feedlot, if you're, if you're consuming animal products that come from feedlot animals, yeah, those are sick animals to begin with. They're going to make people sick. Mm. Right, animals that are free to roam, that eat natural diets, they're actually better for the environment. Mm-hmm. They're better for the consumer. They're better for the farmer. They're better for the. And so, you know, if you look at a well, so the argument around like the environmental right, aspect right, right. of it, if you look at a well maintained pasture land, there's a net benefit to the planet, and there's scientific evidence that proves this all over the place. The other thing is, is that you know, uh, it takes more. Um, it you think about the water that it takes to water all of the plants. Uh, you you think about the pesticides that go on, you know, all of the all of the plants that we're growing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it actually takes more fossil fuels required to grow plants than there are to raise animals, and people don't know that because we just put this shiny plant based, better for everybody, better for everything, um, and it's just simply not true. And so I think there's a lot of misinformation. Now again, I have friends, I have investors, um, you know, we have people that are involved in our company that are fully bought into a 100% plant-based diet. I have no issues with that. My issue is with the misinformation, with the fuzzy marketing campaigns, with the, you know, you put a new label on country crock and canola oil is all of a sudden healthy for you again. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are the, I, you know, if there's a pillar that I'll stand on or a soapbox that I'll get on around that, it's a don't, and, and, and again, paleo people do it too. Don't tell me there's a keto cookie out there that's somewhat healthy for you now mm-hmm. all of a sudden when there's, you know, it takes you know, 600 highly processed ingredients to get to it. Totally. So. So as like a mom who works a lot and I don't know, a lot of mom, every, all moms work, how do you guys feed your kids? Because my kids are really terrible eaters and I've, I 
work, my nanny and I talk about this a lot and it's like, I, I, I'm at a loss. Yeah. I'm convinced all kids are terrible eaters. Uh, okay. And so getting them to, <laughs> you know, I think before you have kids, everyone has this sort of rosy oh, picture. Yeah. Like my kids are only going to no eat this. Screens. And Everything's going to be great and organic and everyone's going to be so nice. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My kid's never going to look at an iPad. Right. Um, and then you have kids and you're like, okay, I just need to survive. I need to get through the next two hours. Right. And so whatever it takes to do that, we're going to do that. So I think parents should probably grant themselves a little bit more grace. Um, I the goal is to always get the kids to eat what we eat. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always practical, and so I, I think for us we just mix it in. And so you know, um, I was packing my um, my five year old who is in a who's still in pre K. She's in four K and packing her preschool lunch last night. And it's it's actually a really nice lunch. I, I was proud of it as like it's for it's a four year old. Um, and so there are like blueberries and raspberries in there, which I feel really really good about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and there's this like, uh, but, but there's also like a couple of pretzel sticks, mm-hmm. right. And there's also a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so, you know, I know she'll eat the raspberries and the blueberries, but also I'm not just going to put raspberries, blueberries and broccoli and kale in there. Right. right? So, I mean, <laughs> the kid is, she's, you know, the, she, there's some balance in there and I, I will give her what I know she will eat. Right. And I'll mix in things that I know are also good for her that. So I, for me, how I try to get them to eat what we eat, my five-year-old doesn't like a lot of meat. Mm-hmm. And my, so my daughter doesn't really either. She doesn't like a lot of meat. Now my, my three-year-old, my three-year-old loves meat. And so, you know, if I can give her little, you know, little sausages or little pieces of chicken and little things like she'll, she'll crush that. Mm-hmm. My five-year-old could, could do without it. Right. And so I don't force feed her meat. Um, I just give her things that she likes and I try to balance and mix in things that I know are also good for her with what she likes. And, and, and so again, I think it's do the best you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that's what I've learned as a parent. All these things, you know, all of these, you know, see life through these, you know, the rose colored goggles that you think you're going to do when you have kids. And, and I'm sure the vast majority of parents can attest to this, um, sort of all go out the window. I feel like assaulted sometimes when I look online. Like, and I'm, this is probably like the lunchbox that you have and you too, because you both are like really good parent people and I'm kind of just trying to get by here. <laughs> but like, I look at the boxes and I'm like, you know, the boxes where you have all the slots. Yep. Is that what you use? Yep. 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 I feel assaulted by you right now, but that's okay. Cause I already Don't. told you I loved you. There's no judgment. <laughs> There's no judgment. This is I, all survival. <laughs> I'm just like, I feel like I really, this is inspiring me truly. Your story really. And I, I don't, I, want my kids to eat. But I mean, my daughter, Della, she would literally eat. And anyone that knows my daughter listening to this, like all Carter and my nanny and my husband, child will eat mac and cheese. She wakes up in the morning. All right, Dells, it's time for breakfast. I want mac and cheese. But I think it's like anything else, like what we do, we do, right? Like where we put energy, we put energy. So she knows I like this. So then do you, and this is like probably maybe a different conversation. I think Lindsay and I've had this too before. When Lindsay really needs a mic, guys. She's got a lot to say. But so if your kids, obviously nobody wants their kids to go hungry, but if they're like not only eating one thing and that you don't want that thing, do you redirect or do you like, that's what's for dinner? Usually I'll redirect or I'll use that as the incentive. So both of my kids could get up and eat chocolate cookies every morning. Okay. Like they could eat an Oreo or, or some sort of chocolate chip cookie or same. <laughs> what's even worse, what's even worse is a good example would be, um, my three-year-old's not in daycare or, or pre-K or anything mm-hmm. like that. And my five-year-old is, and I, I, I drop off my five-year-old and yesterday I came home and anytime I come home after dropping her off, uh, to come back to the house to get something or anything like that, my three-year-old asked where her cake pop is. Mm, I know all about that. And so she, if I go through Starbucks and I'm going to get a coffee, 
like there's an expectation, like, mm-hmm. where's my chocolate K-pop? And so I was like, wait a second. This is, first of all, this is really bad. I'm in the health food business. You know, this is really, really bad. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but I'll use it as incentive. And so maybe I'll get the cake pop. Maybe I won't. Or maybe I'll offer the cookie or the mac and cheese. Um, but listen, I, you can have the mac and cheese, but you have to eat this also. Mm-hmm. Or you have to eat this first. And so I just use it as a carrot. You yeah, know, just something to just give them a little bit more incentive to try to eat something children. else. I, I, I'm I'm fine with it, and and it doesn't. It again, it, it doesn't bother me. Right? Listen, at, it's at, it's how the world turns. Let's be real. We're all we all have something dangling in front of us. Totally. So I'm just going to redirect and use that. So, but if, if the other thing is, like, I I don't like selfishly if they if they won't eat dinner because they just don't want to eat. They don't want to stop playing. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. They don't want to stop playing if they won't eat dinner. And my wife and I have had this debate back and forth. Like, well, do you just send them to bed hungry right? and then maybe they'll learn their lesson right. or do you make them eat so that you're not miserable because they're going to wake up at three o'clock in the morning starving and like then you're gonna have to feed them then um and so you know we go back and forth and we've tried both um and and most of the time it's like okay let's force feed them a little bit before bed so yeah. that they don't wake us up at three o'clock in the morning and then we can be better parents yeah um, no i get it my six-year-old the other night he didn't like what was for dinner and i went upstairs and he just learned how to read and we were reading and i like slid in bed next to him and it was like and i was like I like pulled up the covers and there's granola bar wrappers everywhere. I'm like, you little, you know? And I'm like, man. So no, that's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah. There's again, there's, there's not a, and again, maybe there's a parent out there that has the, the secret or has the answer. I, I think, you know, oftentimes as parents and as parents of young kids, you're, you're surviving, surviving and doing the very <laughs> best you can to like, just keep, keep the wheels moving. Um, and for us, again, they're not, it's not practical to think they're going to eat everything that we eat. Yeah. Um, but I try to incorporate as much of it as possible. And when there is just uh, mac and cheese and cheese bread, right? If that's what you want, mac and cheese and cheese bread, great. Right. Well, there's going to, you've got to have a few of these veggies. You've got to have a little bit of these, you know, a few of these berries or something before we get to that. So do you ever like, I don't even want to call it a splurge because you love the way you eat. So it's not like a, a good or a bad. Like, do you ever go, I, you know what? I'm going to go eat that dairy or I'm going to have the sweets or I'm going to have a glass of wine or whatever your thing is. Totally. So <clears throat> again, so fortunately, and I, you know, I realize that this, I'm fortunate in this. So I don't have any, um, any true dietary restrictions in the sense that like, I don't, I don't, I don't have any things that really bother me. Mm-hmm. So I don't have, you know, any sort of gut issues or any sort of allergies or anything like that. Uh, so everything that I do is truly a choice. Uh, I believe 80, 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like I love ice cream. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably not going to eat a pint of it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, that but, would make me so sick. <laughs> but I like ice cream. And so, you know, yeah, I'll eat ice cream on the weekend or I'll eat ice cream if I'm on a splurge moment or I'll take the kids for ice cream. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, if I'm going to go out with friends and we're going to have a glass of wine, I'm going to do that. Yeah. So the, I'm mm-hmm. not going to deny myself those moments of connection and mm-hmm. those moments where like, hey, I really enjoy this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that's also part of balance in life. Um, like, you know, I, I have someone that I know that recently said, you know, I had a half of a peanut butter cookie yesterday and it was the first one, I, first time I've had a sweets in like three months. And I'm like... Like, but are life. you but are you happy? Yeah, yeah. But are you happy? You know, so I'm like, so there's there's some balance to that where it's yeah. like let's have you know let's so yes, um, I I have no issues indulging. Yeah, um, I know I, I generally know what it's going to do, and I you know I know and I accept that I'm also not going to have perfect six pack abs all the time because of that. Yeah, and I'm totally fine with Same. that. Same, um, but you know, generally again, kind of eighty twenty. I don't want to be where my parents were. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I want to create products and create things that, that offer people alternatives to, to also then be able to indulge. I think mm-hmm. part of the issue is, is that, you know, we eat poorly all of the time and then we indulge. Right. And so I yeah. think if we can eat well most of the time and indulge, so then it creates a little better balance for us. So for me, I just eat really well the vast majority of the time. So when I indulge, I have zero guilt, zero issues. I don't even think twice. I love it. Okay. So I know we're coming close to our ending, but I would like to ask this just because people talk about food a lot and people ask me about food a lot because I'm in the fitness industry, but they're like sorely mistaken because I am not a food person. Unfortunately, I am, I, 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 I guess I admire people that have um, a routine. I think I've always just been like with being in that room and it's hot all the time for me to like eat like a midday meal and then go teach like three classes completely covered in sweat and spandex. It's just does, it doesn't register with my brain. So would you, what like, give me an average day for for how you eat or even how, maybe how your wife eats. So for the woman's perspective, I don't know if y'all eat different or. No, well, my wife would be a. a, I'm like, hold on, where's my pen? My wife would be a bad example um, because sometimes she'll forget to eat in the middle of the day. Same. That's um, my thing. It's like I like get a tea like this and I'm like, yeah. that go and then I get home. I'm telling yeah. you um, all my problems. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. We can talk about all of them. Um, so, so yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you, so I go to the gym in the morning. So I've had to like, that is my like routine. I go in the morning um, before the house is up and before people are moving. And, and if I don't do that, it won't happen. It's for your me. non-negotiable. Yeah. And so again, that's my, that's my me time. And I use, again, the gym for me is just as much about community and connection as it is about uh, fitness. We hear you on that. And so this is where, those are where my people are. Yep. Um, and so I go to the gym in the morning. By the time I get back, the house is just beginning to wake up uh, and I'll normally make breakfast. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be crazy. I'll you know, crack some eggs uh, mm-hmm. and, and crack some eggs and cook that in some ghee because uh, ghee is delicious. Um, and, I'll cra- and, and I'll just make some eggs. We'll, and if there's something, you know, slice up an avocado with that. Um, and um, I'll be right there. Yeah. And, and, and I'll do that. And literally, I'll just put it in front of everybody. Yeah. And, and so then everyone eats. And so everyone's eating eggs or everybody's eating eggs and avocado or everybody's eating, you know, maybe there's some, some yogurt with some granola in it. But there's always some sort of breakfast that I like to make when I come home from the gym. Mm-hmm. And that's like routine for me. So that's just like autopilot. And that you know, it doesn't come natural. But that took some time to get there. But mm-hmm. that's what I do. Um, and then I'll go to the office and I work. And I'll usually snack at some point in the middle. I've always got, some, again, same thing. I always have some really healthy desk snacks around to keep me away from the sugar. Um, I, yeah, I, I can't have, uh, Girl Scout cookies near me or, you know, they'll, they'll just take over. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, always have some kind of nuts and seeds, things that are filling, um, but, but aren't crazy heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I, I own a company that makes meat snacks, so there's always protein yeah. <laughs> snacks around. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, our office we do because we believe in eating together. Our office has like blocked off on the calendar three days a week that we eat lunch together. Oh, cool! And so like that's a meeting. Like you don't miss the meeting. Right. And so at noon every day we go into our kitchen in our office and we eat together. So everyone usually brings their lunch. And for me, sometimes like I'll use a company like the Good Kitchen as an example, who makes these really delicious pre-made meals that I can just quickly, easily reheat. So I don't have to think about lunch, but lunch is either one of those Mm -hmm. or it is a, um, or it's leftovers from the night before and I'll take to reheat for lunch. And then, um, and again, now I do all the cooking, but I just, again, fortunate enough that I founded a company that now makes all of these amazing condiments. And so Mm -hmm. most of my cooking is really, really easy. So as an example, like the quickest 20, 25 minute weeknight meal that I make is, and I, I made it last night. As I go home, I have some chicken breasts. I'll put them in an iron skillet with my classic marinade. 
I'll cover it for cook it on medium heat for 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. just covered and let it roll. And I'll have broccoli and sweet potatoes in the oven roasting for 20, 25 minutes. And literally I'll put them on simultaneous. They'll come out in 25 minutes. I've got roasted broccoli and sweet potatoes. I've got this chicken that's delicious made in my classic marinade and everybody loves it. My mouth's like watering. And so it's so good. It doesn't take a lot of time. And you know, I don't. We don't have a lot. We got two little kids we're yeah. chasing around, and so it. It that's a that's like the what a super easy go to uh, weeknight meal that um, you know I've sort of baked into my lifestyle. Um, so, so and then if I make enough, that'll be my leftovers tomorrow. Awesome. So all right. So what's next for you guys? Cookbook? Maybe, maybe. You know, we haven't thought about a cookbook yet. Um, you know, we're launching a bunch of new products. Yes. So. Um, Right now we have, as of today, we have 24 products at Whole Foods nationally. Um, by May, we'll have 33. So we just launched our, our again, our no sugar added ketchup. We have, we have a, a line of seasoning mixes that'll come out in the spring. Um, we have a new barbecue sauce that'll come out. We have an entire line of salad dressings that will come out in addition to the, the ones wow. that are already out there. Uh, we have a buffalo ranch sauce that Yum. will come out. Um, and so we're expanding aggressively there and then... In our meat snacks, we make uh, a line of products called Snack Mates, mm-hmm. which are little mini meat snacks for kids so oh, that they can get protein. Kids love them. Well, the, actually, that's like the only good thing they eat, and the packaging's adorable. Well, that's the thing. If, you, if they have to like want to like open the package, yeah. And and so what we found is that you know kids they like carbs, and it's fine they can eat lots of carbs, but if we can just sneak in that protein, so we find that kids really like our little protein snacks for kids, and so we're we're gonna expand on that later in the year, and just again because. It's hard to get kids to eat, yeah. And um, and so, just my kids are great. Um, they're great to test on, yeah. And so, we'll do some things where we take those same meat snacks and we mix in some veggies or we mix in some oh, fruits cool. with it. And so, we're going to sneak in a little extra fiber or sneak in some extra nutrients into you the protein. You can test my kids for that. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so, really, right now, we're just going to continue to innovate with new products. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, heck, a, a story. Um, uh, a tell-all or a cookbook or a mix of those could certainly be in the future. I think it's really cool. Um, Okay, so tell everyone where they can find you on the gram, on website, all that stuff. Yeah, everything's at The New Primal. So on Instagram at The New Primal, Twitter, Facebook, thenewprimal.com. And then our products are sold in, you know, probably eight or 10,000 stores across the country, Um, whether that be Whole Whole Foods being our biggest customer or Sprouts or Kroger or Publix. Um, And so there are... uh, if you can't find us in a store, you can certainly find us on the website or Amazon or Thrive Market. Those are all great places to find us. And if they order off of your website and use the code THEWORKS, they get 20% off. Boom. With the, you guys, come on. Let's do this. There you go. All right, Jason. Thank you. I hope you liked that one, guys. Share it with your friends, okay? And um, rate us. Tell everyone you love us because we love you and we want to keep doing this. Have a fantastic day.